This episode of the YVR Screen Scene Podcast is brought to you by Fish Flight Entertainment. This episode was sponsored in part by listeners like you. Join our Patreon community and receive early access to episodes, bonus content, stickers, buttons, and more. Visit www.patreon.com slash YVR Screen Scene Podcast. Welcome to the YVR Screen Scene Podcast, where we pull back the curtain and expose the beating heart of the Vancouver film and television industry, namely the actors and filmmakers and other talented artists who do the work. Capital T, capital W. I'm Sabrina Firminger, and today I am delighted to welcome Kashif Pasta to the YVR Screen Scene Podcast. As we record, the 2021 Vancouver Short Film Festival is in full swing. I bought a festival pass for 40 bucks, and honestly, it's the best 40 bucks I've spent so far this year. With it, I get to watch 61 short films by fearless and curious filmmakers located all over British Columbia, including films by friends of the podcast, Andy Hodgson, Ali Liebert, and Rona Reese. As I've been devouring the films from the comfort of my couch, I found myself feeling in between the awe and the delight and the other big emotions that come with watching films, sad and worried. Most of these films were created before COVID-19 when it was already a struggle for indie artists to bring their stories to the screen. So I'm sad when I think about what we've lost, like packed theaters for film festivals. And I'm also worried about what the weeks and the months ahead look like for our indie filmmakers. What impact is the pandemic having on the indie film scene, and specifically on the ability for our fearless filmmakers to share their stories? What does the future hold in store? What have we lost? And what, if anything, have we gained? These big questions deserve big answers from somebody epic. And we sure have an epic filmmaker here today, Kashif Pasta. Kashif is an award-winning writer, director, and producer with, and this is from your official bio written by, uh, by your, your friend and, and colleague, Shyam, um, with a laser focus on empowering people of color to tell stories with purpose and joy, which is a great line. That should be in everything. Um, Kashif co-created and directed the hit digital series Welcome to Surrey for TELUS and Danya Media, co-created the untitled BTR project with Samir Gardezi for Paul Feig's, is it Feig or Feig? Feig? Feig. Paul Feig. Paul Feig's powder gag and was a 2018 ABC television comedy lab fellow for his half hour pilot long distance. He was also... A crazy eights finalist this year, you know, so a crazy, crazy time awaits Kashif in the months, the weeks and months ahead. And I should also add that Welcome to Surrey is one of my favorite web series of all time. And I recommend it all the time because it's one of the first times that I've seen something that looks like my experience as the child of immigrants told on screen. So Kashif. Wow. We talk about so indie much. filmmaking and COVID and also the fact that racism was just discovered in 2020. 100%. It's just <laughs> changed our lives. I think, uh, I think I'm going to download this podcast. It's going to be my like morning affirmation that just, it's my, like, that's my alarm clock now. <laughs> it just starts up. I was like, Ooh, yes. Well phrased. Got it. Uh, thank you so much for having me. This is exciting. This is I'm, absolutely a delight. I'm such a fan of, of your work and also the energy that you bring to this community. Um, but well, actually, before we talk about the COVID, the impact of COVID on our industry, I'm going to begin by asking you the question, the question of the hour, the question that I've been beginning every single episode of this podcast with since the pandemic hit. How are you? I'm good. I'm, I'm very good. Um, yeah, I, I don't know beyond that. I, 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 my answers evolved from like good, all things considered, good despite, and now I think it's just good. Um, of course, there are many things happening. We're all living in the same world at the same time. But uh, I was just talking the other day to someone who's like, you know what, humans, we have we we do nothing but adapt, and I think we're starting to now find that 
rhythm of things. And it's not that it's a less scary situation, but we're more, you know, um, accustomed to it or more, more able to take it to handle the fear and, and, and do things anyway. So I think, uh, yeah, good. Feel the fear and do it anyways. And also like, I I respect the fact that you're good. was totally a good dot, dot, dot. Yeah, yeah, Like I really, (laughs) it's a load, it's a load bearing good. (laughs) It really is. Um, okay. So we're going to begin by, um, I want to go back in time to the before times, like right before, Yeah. you know, COVID kind of blew up our, our industry. Um, how, how would you define the health of our indie scene, you know, before the pandemic hit? Yeah. It's a great question. Um, uh, you know, for me, I'm plugged into what I would think of as a, as a, as a little bubble part of the indie scene that I, I was very excited about and, and remain very excited about, um, which is this, I'll still say new crop of filmmakers, although they've all been at it for, for a number of years now. Um, these really fresh, exciting voices, generally very diverse points of view, backgrounds, um, making films in Canada without the limitation of... Um, uh, while embracing that movies can be good and popular, sometimes there's there's a there's a a um, a tendency to shy away from from making something that could be popular because it feels antithetical to being Canadian. But I think that is changing, <laughs> um, and and that's, that's so really right. exciting. And so yeah, it's, I would say going into 2020 um, in that first kind of quarter, um, yeah, a lot of excitement around that. Literally, that first quarter was. Um, myself producing and a lot of my friends as directors applying to talent to watch. It was very much uh, uh, a time period of, of a lot of indie film stuff. Um, out of the three um, that I knew, two of them got it. And so they couldn't yeah. shoot in 2020, but uh, remain excited about those. And so, yeah, I think that was, that was where I was at. It's very like, we're on the precipice of something big. Uh, we yeah. just know that what was big was a different thing. Oh man. Yeah. I, I, I have such fun memories of that last Crazy Eights gala night, yeah. you know, in February of of last year, you know, which I think was the the last big community event that that I attended. And it was my first time going. Like I had done, I had been involved in Crazy Eights for three years before that. Could never make it to the gala for different reasons. And so last year, I was I wasn't involved in a film. First time going, loved it, and I'm like so glad I went now because because now it'll be harder. I mean, the, the actually also part of it was also like, it was a very busy time in terms of um, trying to, trying to pay bills and, 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 and do a lot of client commercial work. And when that all ground to a halt, um, if anything, 2020 became a time where I got to like develop more things. Yeah. Okay. Well then let's talk a bit more about then like paint me a picture of what you're seeing now, you know, like how would you say that the, the indie scene, and I put all the respect in the world on those words, indie scene, because yeah. I, like that is where, that's where, um, that's where I get all the big feelings, you yeah. know, and that's where so many risks are taken. You know, there is nothing less than about the indie scene. The only thing that's less than is the amount of money y'all get, you know, <laughs> like literally that's yeah. it. That's the only less than. Um, but, but how would you say that the indie scene has been changed by the pandemic? Yeah, it's interesting. Uh, in terms of the indie scene, like I'm, I'm in and out of it. it it's an interesting thing where the business-wise, we're, we're kind of very connected to some of the larger entities, but then the nature of trying to make a thing that starts in Vancouver uh, essentially puts you into, into that kind of indie world uh, naturally. Um, and with, with my production company's focus on empowering artists of color, as we say, um, uh, a lot of those really, really, really talented crews are in that non-union world as well. Um, mm. And that tends to be a, a barrier for them. Uh, yeah, union access can, can be tough. So we actually have really great access to a lot of great crews. So, um, you were, sorry, but there's a question, how did it transform? Well, I mean, yeah, sure. I mean, that's, that's, that's good. Like, you know, is yeah. like, how has it been? I mean, because the, there's so much to yeah. it, right? There's the, there's the actual, like bringing your ideas to the screen, yeah. you know, there's, there's, and, and then the whole machinery around, yeah. you know, around a film set. Right. Yeah. Um, and, and then there's also the challenge of, of, 
of festivals and events yeah. and and you know so yeah so like yeah. how how have you seen it how have you seen it changed by this pandemic yeah i mean I, again like i said I, I don't know how 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 good of an image i have of the whole scene but in in my little my little point of view of it or my little ecosystem that we're that's building that's all i'm asking it. for yeah um, um i think um it's been really cool so the the when the pandemic first hit, and like I said, our commercial work all stopped and we had shoots that were scheduled and that was, we're gonna pay the bills, et cetera. Um, us at Venya, we were kind of running two businesses. So we were like, we wanna make this original content. You mentioned Welcome Missouri. We made like entertainment stuff. We did live shows with people like Hasan Minaj, very cool, very fun. Um, but to pay the bills, we were doing a lot of like communications uh, work uh, not even necessarily it was video. A lot of it was like consulting works and blah blah. Yeah. Can and I just like can I just add? There yeah. was um, I think one of your your clients was some kind of group that was about um, you know fostering good health in the South South Asian yes. community. Yeah, you had yeah. those great videos that were encouraging. Yeah. My dad basically not to eat so much sugar so that yeah, it doesn't yeah, yeah. get diabetes. So of, yeah, so Sham, I mean, I have a background, education-wise, I have a background in communications, and Sham, my co-founder, co-producer, is in health sciences. Neither of us went to film school, so when it came to client work, we we tended towards healthcare and, and South Asian healthcare. And so when, when again, when it was shut down in March, we kind of, we took a moment to go, okay, theoretically scary, but what's the, what's the not silver lining, but what's the opportunity here? You know, you always hear that like in times of great strife, these like great companies rise and all these great things happen. And oh, Uber and Airbnb came up in like the economic downturn of 2008. And that's great. And we're like, okay, we're not going to make Uber, right? But hey, what is our version? You, you might make Uber because you're making We are not yet. making moves <laughs> that would lead in that direction. But it's like, okay, what's my, what's the personal version of that? And very quickly within a couple of weeks in March, it was like, well, everybody that's really hard to access is home right now. And kind of also freaking out and pretty much available. And so in that sense of relationship building is a really key part of being a producer, being an indie filmmaker, being anybody, being a business owner, whatever. Um, it actually opened up our kind of geographic boundaries and who we could connect with. So very quickly I was having, you know, I was connecting with chief marketing officers of very large companies with filmmakers who normally, you know, before pandemic, I was spending about half my time in Vancouver, half my time in LA. Yeah. Um, that travel stopped. Um, but I'm okay not having meetings in person in LA if no one else can either. So again, the Zoom connection ended up being a strong thing with the time zones being the same. And so um, I think for, in my kind of version of the ecosystem, like relationships thickened, if, if that's a way to put it. And also it, we, in terms of the opportunity, we're like, well, we always wanted to produce features. We always wanted to be making these bigger projects. Um, of course, those always take time to develop. And we thought, okay, well, all we can do right now is write and develop. And so um, we had Welcome to Surrey, which we, we had wanted to do a second season of for a long time. And so we got together a little writer's room um, and <gasps> learned how hard yes! it was to do a writer's room on a whiteboard. I mean, without a whiteboard. Um, <laughs> but we did. We, we broke a season. It's now since, um, you know... Um, with, with, with digital series being a little bit more finicky at the moment, it's uh, since transformed into an indie feature. Um, and so now I'm writing, writing that because it was always, it was going to take place against the backdrop of, of the kind of wedding world of Surrey, which it transforms for six months a year into um, kind of a mix of, um, if, you, if you know the show Man Like Mabin, it's a bit of Man Like Mabin mixed with Crazy Rich Asians. Um, very fancy Vegas ballrooms, but in but in essentially warehouse parking lots, um, and so uh, it's so, so specific, <laughs> and I totally get it. You know exactly what I'm talking about, <laughs> and so um, and really, really exploring that world world that Sham and I uh, really love a lot. I mean, I got married in 2017, and 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 love the experience in retrospect, and so it's about diving back in and and going into like, yes, they're big, they're crazy, they've been these kind of wedding scenes have been parodied and and exoticized a lot, but really getting into the pockets of like. No, it's really about the like the 3 a.m. McDonald's drive-through caravan of very fancily dressed people eating like fast food and stuff. And so, so that has been the opportunity is developing that. And really, um, in terms of the indie scene, it's been diving deeper with a lot of BIPOC writers and going, okay, how do we develop? You know, it's hard to develop one project at a time. It's harder to develop multiple. But when you get into the market, you do need to have multiple. Um, when you, we went to Sham and I went to AFM, the American Film Market, in 2019. And we kind of knew that going in, but it really becomes clear that 
there's there's the audience and they're really important but then there's also those those middle ground people who are really your customers the the distributors the the um the people who need to fill their own content pipelines to put really gross terms on it um and and really looking at okay how do we develop multiple things with really good writers so that um we have multiple things ready to go and so then that's been a process of diving in deeper building those relationships and really developing not just scripts, but developing writers. Because for BIPOC writers, especially anyone marginalized, you spend so much of your time justifying your existence, especially in our very beautiful granting system, which is great, but it's a lot of justify your existence to get in the room. And it has this effect on writers' um, self-image also, where um, you know you ask a writer, why, why do you want to tell this story? It becomes a lot about representation, a lot about how it's important for culture, a lot about all real. But we really want to work through um, and, and dive a little deeper, create this space, and we have a physical space now that's going, okay, you're in this room, you're, you're, you're justified, like you can exist. Yeah. Let's get past that and let's almost call you out on your goals and kind of go deeper on, on why you want to tell this story in an effort to really get to, kind of get ahead of the conversation rather than always be in this reactive zone. Um, and uh, so, yeah, so we've developed this whole, what we call story therapy process. <laughs> oh, I love it. I think I need some of that in my, in my over life. Again, it's very fun, yeah. I wonder though, you know, you're talking about, you know, um, a lot of the conversations that you're having are continuations of conversations that, that you had before the pandemic or that, you know, are a result of, you know, that have come from your, the, the I don't want to say the, not the for-profit, the commercial side of your, yeah. of your business, you know, do you see, um, like what hope is there though for, for filmmakers, you know, who would rely on events like, yeah. you know, networking events at a film yeah. festival, you know, um, to, to go and build those, yeah. those co connections and then start yeah. the conversation, you know, like I'm yeah. so happy for you because yeah. I want to see your content on the screen, but yeah. then I'm thinking about all the, all of the people who there, I mean, can you even make those kind of connections in a film festival online zoom room? You know, yeah, there's, there's a, an element of the serendipity that's really tough. Um, so you can do, do, do build those relationships. You can identify people. You can, you can, you can, I mean, I hate to say it because I don't even know that I have my mind wrapped around it, but you start to dive into things like social media a bit more, start to dive into email, start having those like Zoom coffees, very much a thing, very cool. What you're talking about is a different thing, right? You're talking about the less scheduled things. I mean, I, I've never been to the Banff Media Festival before. I tried going this year in the online version. It was fine, um, but... Again, you it was fine is almost is like the equivalent of you saying, I'm good, dot, dot, yeah, dot. If, if I was a bigger company and, you know, we have these shows, we have a specific goal and that's great. Being there to learn, like, like I said, I went to AFM last year, uh, no, 2020. Yeah, I went to learn. I, I didn't really have a feature to sell. I literally went to learn, learned a bunch of stuff, right? Didn't sell a movie, wasn't there to sell a movie. Yeah. Um, on this online version of something where I didn't specifically at BAMP like have a specific TV show, this is ready to go, I'm ready to go. Um, and so, because then you have to like justify why you want a meeting, everybody's got their time slots. So again, yeah, that hallway meet encounter with someone yeah. doesn't happen. Um, and so those things are, are really difficult. And I would say other than, other than waiting it out, <laughs> which is definitely an option, two things. One is deepening the relationships you already have. And I think that's a really key thing. We're often forgetting to check in with people we already know, see what they're up to. Again, I mean, it's hard to afford volunteering, but to the extent that you can help out with other people's projects, that still is a thing. Um, again, like I said, we did this writer's room. Uh, it wasn't paid. It was just like an excuse to hang out with a couple writers we always wanted to hang out with. Mm -hmm. And so deep. And so I've definitely with this like smaller circle gotten a lot deeper. Um, and then, yeah, just uh, seeing how you can be the solution to that problem. So what you're doing with this podcast is a solution to that problem. Now we're having this conversation. Other people are hearing from both of us. They might get in touch with us separately on some like Twitter. Um, and, and it is that thing of like, what is it that can facilitate that? And how can you be part of the solution that then ultimately at an event, you might've just been a person who ran into a person. And now coming out of the pandemic, you are like the connector of people. It may not be something you're super into, but like it is an option. The way you said the um, connector, it was, it's like the, great. some like superhero, like I want the action figure of somebody who's the connector, the center <laughs> of a community, connecting people. It's, it's real though, right? It's like, if, if you, and it's not even, I mean, it sounds very like, um, 
sneaky almost, right? But it's but it's not even trying to come at it from that very like corporate point of view. It's just literally going, well, like I have this problem. How do I, uh, you know, I, how, I'm not having these serendipitous encounters. How do I create that? I mean, I've got a lot of thoughts that I'm not actually um, executing on in my own life of how to do that. Yeah. Um, but, you know, yeah, it, it's, it's definitely a thing. Um, but I think deepening the community you already have is a, is a massive part of it. Yeah. Okay, so you're producing a film as part of Crazy Eights. Yeah. And as you say, you've been involved with Crazy Eights before in different, in different yeah. forms. Um, how's it different this year, though? Because my experience, I, I have gone on to Crazy Eight sets, and there, it's, there, it's can be an experience like no other. Yeah. And you can see 60 people in a tiny little room yeah. behind a monitor watching, you know, and, you know, and what, one of the, the coolest things that happens is the volunteerism and is yeah. getting people on set. I'm assuming that it's not going to be the same this year. It's yeah, it's tough. I would say, I mean, there's, there's the mechanical things that are different, fewer crew members, mostly remote production. So we're not having any in-person production meetings. So there's like the technical things of that, of like, you know, you're not able to have a quick side conversation. So how do you create the digital equivalent of that? And we can get into that. We, we built our company to be really remote friendly from the beginning because we knew I'd be moving around a bunch and because we wanted to kind of open up work opportunities for, uh, I mean, I think it's just a, having grown up in Surrey and being an hour away from everything and knowing that like a 15 minute coffee takes two hours, 15. Uh, I think there was just a driven and then it kind of expanded into like, yeah, but what about working moms? Like, how do they go to meetings and stuff? Right. So like we were very remote friendly from the beginning in that sense. So that's cool. We have tools for that we can get into, but in terms of the, um, yeah, the, the really big benefit of crazy eights of like meeting people, like we just mm -hmm. said, um, and, and experimenting with working with each other. It, it'll happen a little bit here and there, but it is definitely um, tougher in some ways um, in, in that um, people's lives are also a little bit less predictable. So uh, thankfully, Crazy Eats has given us a little bit more prep time this year. But then also, do crews, do the best talented crews really know what their availability is going to be in two months? It's tough for them to say, it's tough for them to say, yeah, I'll commit to that weekend when the kind of Hollywood-based industry is very busy right now. Um, and they've had, you know, up to a year of not really working, right? It's yeah. not like, uh, we've been really busy and I have all this extra savings. So you're asking favors in a different way and people are still just as enthusiastic to help. Yeah. But they just, on that individual level, it's much harder to commit. Um, and on every level, right? Like our film, a lot of it's shot in one house. But in times of COVID, getting a family to give you their house for three days for a production as crazy as what you're saying, you know, I, you know, we won't have 60 people, but you'll have fewer people and they'll have to take over more of a house or they'll have to take over more of a street to yeah. spread out, to be really safe. Um, we're asking favors from people who work in the industry where like, if we get them sick, we shut down the industry, right? Because they're going right back onto a, yeah. a TV I mean, yeah, for people who work on the service part, like I, I have a, a dear friend, she's recurring on a big ABC show right now, yeah. and she has to get tested like three times a week, Yeah, you know? And so I could see that having an impact on the volunteerism yeah. as well. Yeah, you know, so we like, have amazing cast right now. Yeah, but they're so amazing that they're on shows, right? And if that show says, hey, like we can't risk your weekend on this indie, whatever, whatever. Like, so so it's nice to have the extra prep time. Of course, that, that thing that, I mean, this happens in all indie film. It happens in every Crazy Eights, you know, your last few days or week, you're, you know, this thing's dropping out. That thing is, you know, you've lost that location. Sometimes it happens during a shoot day. I won't name names, but it's happened. Um, uh, the, this, this was no fault of the production. So I can say this one, the mirror, I think it was two years ago, like the power went out because there was a snowstorm the weekend they were filming a, a movie that took place in May because it was prom weekend and now they have a snowstorm. I so, remember yeah. that. They referred to it in the film. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so good. the story did... Uh, so, so yeah, so so that will always happen, but it is a little bit of that extra layer this time of like, now you're adding the thing of like, oh, your lead might get sick. I mean, really, hopefully not, but beforehand, like if they're they're out that week, then they're out that week, right? Um, and so um, it's definitely it's you know the same enthusiasms going into it, if not more. I would say like on the plus side, communications are clearer and and more put together than they usually ever are. Yeah. Because whereas things might be kind of in messy texts or slacks, like we're so, or, or or WhatsApps, we're really hardcore about Slack hygiene and email like etiquette and all that kind of stuff. So in that sense, good, but. Um, but yeah, there's, there's a little bit of, uh, the ice feels thin, put it that way. Yeah. It's, it's like, it looks solid and you just don't know where the pockets are. Yeah. Um, which is all indie film, of course, but it is that extra thing of like, there's that layer of seriousness of like, 
okay, I, crazy is really, really important to me. It's really, really important to everyone involved, but also it's like, you're balancing like human health and safety yeah. with, with that. we have some older actors in ours, you know, um, uh, our, but then at the same time, that's, what's exciting. We have, we have a lead role for a South Asian woman, for a South Asian woman in her fifties to be like an action comedy hero on the safety side. Let, let's make sure that we're safe. On the other hand, what other movies are offering her that position as an actor even, right? Oh, um, are you allowed to give names yet or are you holding it close to your I chest? I think I'll hold the name only because um, I, I just don't know in terms of like travel and safety and all that kind of stuff. But but uh, it's, a good, it's a good one, <laughs> so I'll say that. Has she um, been on my it, show before? I'm not sure. Sh- you know what? I'll, I'll, I'll let you guess because I'm not actually <laughs> sure. Um, and, you know, <laughs> And at its core, a lot of it is, I mean, it's a, it's a, it's a mother son story. It's also a mother and mother-in-law story. So there's an even older uh, South Asian role for, for an even older woman. And so it's like, okay, this is amazing. Like we definitely want that to happen because imagine the, the knock on effect, but, um, but yeah, it's that very, very, very carefulness. We have a really good team together, thankfully, but um, yeah. It's, I want to uh, be devil's advocate. Yeah. Um, even though I hate when people do that. But I, I like, but there are people right now, you know, who um, will be like, man, this is a lot for, you know, to, for people to create art right now. Like why, like, what is the, why should you be yeah. creating this right now when it's, can't, can't, can't all these film productions just wait until it's over? Like non-industry people? Yeah. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> Dicks. Yeah. <laughs> No, no, because there's also, in the industry, you could say the same thing, right? But uh, uh, to a certain extent. But you mean we have the Rio that has had to pivot to be showing sports on their screen, you know, because of the the rules from the provincial health officer that says that bars can be open, but the place that shows, you know, art on the screen can't. You know, even if another grant money's in jeopardy because do you see this as well? It's like, well, you've got grant money to be an arts organization, and we didn't give grant money for a sports bar. And so, it's t- I mean, everybody who works in film has a personal version of, of the people around them not understanding what they do. Yeah. <laughs> so, and now we're experiencing on an industry level of like, I understand how it looks. You're like, my local restaurant can't have people in it, yet they're filming a movie. And what are movies? They're just this like thing that shows up on your, on your free box and it just shows up and it exists. Yeah. And so I feel like I, I understand that outside industry perspective of, of it. I think there's definitely some education to be done in terms of the economic impact of film. I mean, to, to, to put it a little bit impolitely on the art side, like it is a manufacturing industry. Mm. Um, these are really good manufacturing jobs. Um, um, and, and, and what we're making is arts and culture and, and it has a, a greater knock-on effect as well. But I think the economic story of film uh, especially, I, I want to say especially in BC, but I have a BC perspective, but I've been seeing this in Ontario as well. Um, the film commissions have wanted to tell the story for a long time. They're, they've got the resources they've got, but I think that it's a really key for people to understand that, yeah, these are, these are regular people. It's not movies are shooting and it's like, oh, Brad Pitt's in, they're just having a good time. Like it's, it's your neighbors, it's the people around you. It's, these are mortgage paying um, child raising, and not that you need to have a mortgage and a child to be valid and make money, but like th- this is a key part of Vancouver, and and it always gets underestimated. Like what what part of our economy goes into it is comes from energy versus comes from like yeah. arts and culture. This is a, a long standing thing, and we're we're seeing it manifest. Um, I think there's also the fact too. I've, I played devil's advocate, and yeah. I'm going to speak my piece yeah, yeah. as well yeah. to myself as devil's advocate. But you know you can't like negate the fact that uh, the work that is created, especially on the indie side, but all of it, because I've been consuming all of it, feeds your god your goddamn soul. You know, yeah. like it that yeah. it can, that it, what what's the main like we you and I started talking today. You know, before I hit record about what you've been watching. Yeah. You know, I that's what like my main activity that I've been doing during the pandemic is watching. Yeah watching the film, watching TV, watching digital series, you know, because that's yeah. what I, I need to feel connected. And frankly, I need stuff. I need to be watching stuff yeah. right now that maybe it's not a COVID story specifically, yeah. but it's created within COVID that it reflects back some of the emotions that we're all yeah. feeling. Cause I get my catharsis yeah. from watching, you yeah. know, film and TV. So I want to work those emotions out 
yeah. and I have big emotions because I'm a, I'm I too am doing good dot dot dot. Yeah. Um, I, I I watch film and TV to work that kind of stuff out. And and I think we often undervalue that. I mean, but if you look at any times of crisis, whether it's like the Great Depression, like the one industry yeah. that doesn't go down is film, right? People, yeah. King Kong came out during the Great Depression, yeah. 2008 2009. There was like the the economic uh, fallout, but you know, film and media continued. And, and yeah, I think it's often um, not respected as much, but but yeah, everybody, I mean, again, like you said, everybody's like, I finished Netflix, what else do I sign up for, right? Yeah. And, 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 but I think when people are making that critique, especially in like the news context, I think just from like a, taking like an empathetic lens on it, I think what they're, I think my actual response to someone in person would be more in line with, look, I, I get that the critique is coming from, they feel like they're the only ones hurting right now and kind of acknowledging that and validating that going, look, no, it is really tough for you. you Got to understand these people that you're critiquing are also people too. Like we're all, I hate, I'm not going to use the ad, the ad term, but the kind of, we're all in this together attitude without the terminology is like, totally like you're mad because you're having a tough time. And I validate that. Also, how like how can we get you back on track rather than stopping these? Dude, that's often the thing, right? The scarcity mindset of like, well, this small business had to be closed, so why aren't they all? It's like, well, how do we get them all open? Yeah. Like, how do we make sure that everybody's safe? And I think um, that kind of then that that has a knock-on effect even within the industry as well. I mean, it's it's definitely a thing that I've had to as as you navigate the granting system or or they think you have to take a very empathetic view to the people who you're talking to, right? Because it's like, oh, they said no to this, they're doing this, they're doing that, and you go like, okay. Every organization, every other filmmaker, these are all just people trying to figure out the thing and what's their perspective on it. And, mm. um, and, 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 uh, yeah, it's, uh, it's, everyone's kind of on this, like, very, I talked about being on thin ice in terms of, like, danger for our film, but everybody's on this very, like, hair trigger, delicate, you know, kind of, we're, 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 we're in, like, this, we're a bunch of eggshells in a box. Yeah. <laughs> and, um, and, uh, yeah, it's, I feel like it's a very sensitive time for everybody. And so, yeah. It's, I got uh, a sensitive question then. I'm going to put, yeah, you, yeah. put you on the spot here. Do you think that funding bodies and, and festivals and other industry stakeholders are doing enough right now to buoy, I hope I'm pronouncing it right, to buoy the indie scene? Do you think that more could be done? Oh, okay. So, th so I like that because... Doing enough and could more be done is, is, is uh, I'll split those out a little bit because on the doing enough front, I mean, the thing is it's, it's never, it's never really going to be enough enough. Yeah. Um, so again, taking that lens of like, I get that also everybody working at all these places is also a person who's like, Oh my God, the pandemic's happening. I got to work from home. Where, what am I going to do? My cat's walking across the screen as I'm trying to do zoom. So on that sense, like, I think there's genuine intention in a lot of areas and with a lot of people. Um, there's uh, loud, well-trained voices pushing back against them. And I guess I'm taking more of a lens on the, on the diversity inclusion side. Um, could more be done? Yes, absolutely. I would say this before pandemic as well. And so I guess it just continues into it. Um, I th it, it is scary to rethink how the entire industry works, but it's kind of the only way Vancouver can move forward. Mm. Um, we are, uh, everybody knows we're a very service heavy industry. There's a lot of players at, at play there. Um, as, as my partner, my business partner, Sean likes to say, like we're kind of, uh, Vancouver is one of the top producers of American culture, right? And so we, we're the yeah. number two. Um, and, and we are in, in, if you imagine an iPhone being designed in, in San Francisco and manufactured in Shenzhen, China, we are to a large extent um, Hollywood's Shenzhen. Uh, which is which is honorable, but it is it is not something to like go to your head too much in terms of what art we're making. We still have to be really um, adamant about you, know, you. You can't be in Shenzhen and think you're Steve Jobs, exactly. Um, and so so definitely. So, but because so much of our industry is set up that way, that's great. That needs to be supported, and that's really important. I don't mean to talk it down at all. That the huge advantage of Vancouver is those productions bring in the infrastructure that then will really help us build our own stuff. So if you look at another maybe smaller market like Calgary, Calgarians may have all the stories in the world and all the desires in the world, but they don't have the infrastructure and the talent. We have 23 year old focus pullers who are like on it. Yeah. We have, you know, Dolly, you, you hire and like people because they're working on those Hallmark movies, they're working on those bigger shows. They're working on those like, studio features the talent level's crazy the people at the gear houses are like yeah yeah we do star trek and stuff you're local that's so cool we want to support you right so like mm -hmm. 
that service industry is really like the fuel we need to, the foundation we need to build that local industry. But on that local industry front, absolutely, there needs to be more put into, and I'll, that's a generic term, put into, what, what am I talking about putting into it? Let's see, but more put into developing those local talents and a little bit more, um, Canada in general is a very conservative place fiscally um, in, across industries. Um, and so a lot of times it feels like we can't afford to falter, um, mm. but to build a robust um, uh, cultural industry, there needs to be a lot more going into it and in every department. So part, it's really nice that we support writers, but also like on the business side, it's been really, really hard to get that training. Like there, the, I've literally been told, which was a really useful answer to get, Hey, Hey man, the answer, the questions you're asking, the answers just aren't in Vancouver. Um, and so, uh, support across different departments, talent development, IP development, um, and also that kind of like business acumen is really important because our advantages were so close to the U S we're the same time zone as LA. That's also our greatest challenge because the individual for the individuals involved, it's so much less effort to just shift and grow somewhere else. Um, and we're trying to build that bridge between both places, uh, as myself, as a producer, as a, us as a company, but industry wise, I think, yeah, it needs to take a, a little bit less protective of the legacy players, which is a difficult thing because it's all personal relationships and those legacy players know who the people are internally. And it's really awkward to tell, I don't want to say, I don't want to make up a name because it might be someone's real name, but it's really hard to tell producer X that we're, we're canceling that program. Mm -hmm. um, but um, that is kind of what needs to happen. So over time, it'll be a regular changing of the guards as people retire and come in. We actually don't have that kind of time. Uh, Vancouver's in a moment right now where we have such cool filmmaker stories. I think what happened to Toronto music can happen to Vancouver film. It used to be, a, if you if you were a rapper and you said I was a Canadian rapper 15 years ago, that's a, that's a punchline. Yeah. If you say you're a Toronto-based rapper now, that's like, a, oh, okay, now you're a, you're a category of thing. Let's talk. Vancouver film has that opportunity over the next decade um, as like streaming media is like a big opportunity. People want more content. They want more diverse content. Um, that window closes up in the next 10 years and another city takes it. Mm -hmm. So we actually don't have that time, but I think that openness to new ideas and that, that really it's that decoupling from producer X, the legacy guy who is going to be awkward at the dinner party outside of work. That's really the toughest thing I think to, to, to move on from. Ooh. Yeah. I know some of these people. Yeah. It's going to be hard. Great to, intentions. Yeah macroeconomically they're not running great businesses and it's really tough to say but these are sometimes the people who when BIPOC producers or filmmakers would pitch before would say hey listen great idea but it's all about the numbers and you don't have the numbers to support you and now those same producers are saying ah film kind of sucks right now because it's all about numbers and we used to just make whatever we wanted and the goalposts shift mm -hmm. and I think that's fine um but the that yeah it's um in, in a, I sound very capitalist about it, but that, those are the responses we used to get coming up, right? It's like, hey, man, it's just numbers, it's just business. And so now that the numbers are on our side, I think those same players are, are, are going to have a difficult time with that. And I have many tips because we as indie filmmakers and BIPOC filmmakers have had that difficult time yeah. for our entire lives. So we'd like to run support groups. We can do that. Um, but in terms of the economic health of the country, um, it is not going to help. Yeah. Um, I know we were joking earlier about how 2020 was the year that uh, people discovered racism. Yeah. Um, but in a lot of ways it did, it did feel like that uh, possibly because of the pandemic, um, mainstream media, social media, like gave space to stories, you know, important stories, uh, you know, including the, the murder of George Floyd and then all of the, the protests mm -hmm. um, that they, they might not have given space to before. There was the ability mm -hmm. to, uh, now everybody was talking about racism, everybody. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, you and I were like, okay, great. Uh, <laughs> I'm so happy we just discovered this thing yeah. that we've been living with our whole lives. So you can talk a little bit about, um, you know, the, uh, <laughs> the, the, diversity and inclusion panel of it all yeah. you know and and the kind of the um the gains that we made last year and yeah. you know the kind of the the dangers that look that lurk ahead yeah. you know for yeah. those of us who are who want to do 
do more and enact change beyond being panelists on diversity and inclusion yeah, panels? Yeah, I'm super happy that that's become a running joke with everybody because I think that does put a bit of fear into organizations when they go, oh, we'll just do a pan. Oh, I hear it now. I hear it now because I see I'm on because those people are more online now and they see the complaints. Um, you know, I mean, this is the always the kind of um, the cop out answer of like change is slow, but it is. But 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 what's exciting is it like everything else that accelerated this last year. I think. I've always been really outside the whole granting funding agency system as we tried to bootstrap everything. And when we couldn't bootstrap last year, we started to get more familiar with it and, and who's in there and who's out there and, and getting to know some more of the people who work within the organizations. What's really cool and in, in humanizing them is, is seeing that how much of, because like they are so they kind of have to follow the policies that are set so much higher up the chain, et cetera, et cetera. What's cool with these larger cultural moments that happen as, as tough as they are. I mean, you, you don't wish that it had to happen this way. Um, but what happens is it make a lot of times the people within those organizations who have been wanting to make a change for a while, it gives them a stronger argument. Mm-hmm. Um, and you see it a lot in how like CBC did their COVID relief. Like, um, they were doing these like quick projects and I have issues with some of the ways it was done, but it was really cool to see it just be a Google form because I'm like, there were people within the organization who always wanted to do it that way, but couldn't justify it within the org. We've seen this happen in Canadian film in general, where like everything's very much based on theatrical, theatrical, theatrical. The past three years we've been like but streaming exists and they're like, we get it, but theatrical. And this year, those same people are like, so what about streaming? And we're like, great idea. <laughs> right. And so same thing on diversity inclusion. I think it's, 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 it's taken that shake up to open some eyes. Um, I do see, um, again, intentions moving. I see, I see sometimes actually money moving as well. Um, CMF, CMF Telefilm and them did do some like BIPOC, BPOC specific things. And what's really cool that I've been seeing, and maybe this is a, a kind of knock-on effect of the deepening relationships or the increasing relationships that I was talking about before, is I'm seeing so much more organizing on the part of filmmakers, like political organizing. I come from a, a background of community building and a lot of organizing work um, uh, in the uh, union and progressive politics world. I, when I first started out as an editor, that's kind of where I was at, was at an agency that did a lot of that stuff. And seeing a lot of that um, language and methodology and stuff continue on in the BIPOC world, because normally, if you're the uh, quote unquote one 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 of the few diverse people at an event, you're one of the few people. You know, we talked about those serendipitous encounters. For us as BIPOC filmmakers, you get some of those, but like you might see one or two other people, and you'll meet them and stuff. But across the country, all the scattered. Um, uh, producers and filmmakers, those people are connecting now in a way through organizations like BIPOC Film and TV, mm. um, through various online initiatives. There's now, it just started last week, um, we've now got a Discord for BIPOC commercial directors, like a little like a little group that are across the country, right? And so that back channel um, has actually grown more. And, and because we've always had to find our spaces online, we've always had to be resourceful and connect. That element's really cool. So will you see immediate change? Maybe a little bit. I think you'll see things like talent to watch diversify a little bit. Um, you saw it in the telephone regional funding and diversified a little bit. But um, I think long term, those are going to have really strong knock on effects as people kind of network at their kind of level. Now, there's already talk of like, oh, if I go to the Banff, now I've got these other directors who are like in Toronto, who I can now coordinate with like, oh, you met with this person, met with this person. So there's some movement there. Um, the challenge being if it's not done right, again, like I said, there's a lot of financial conservatism. So if one project doesn't work, um, oftentimes it's like, well, diversity doesn't work then. Yeah. And that's why I'm really concerned with the kind of systemic change or the, the, the idea of like, it's tough because a lot of BIPOC filmmakers haven't had access to the opportunities that you need to get ready for the bigger opportunities. So if you just suddenly open up the bigger opportunity, which is good because there are people who are ready. So please, if anybody's listening, don't not open up the bigger opportunities. There are, the filmmakers are ready for that. But there's a lot of filmmakers who need the middle steps. And so that's what I get really concerned with, which what are, what are the middle steps? A lot of times you get a Capilano grad who's like, I want to make a Netflix show. And you're like, cool, there's 8,000 steps between where you are right now and that day, and it will come, but let's walk through it. Um, and so, so really uh, funding that middle zone. It's a Vancouver thing in general. You can start a food cart you can come in as a large food brand, but building a small restaurant and actually taking it through is really hard. Mm. You can have a online clothing store. You can open the Gucci store on Robson, but like, how do you, how do you actually build a clothing brand in Vancouver from the ground up? Mm. It's a city with a lot of middle rungs on the ladder missing. Um, 
And so that is a, it's a, it's a problem across the board here. Um, uh, anybody who's tried to be a homeowner will, will attest to it. Um, but, uh, but it's definitely something that affects film. And again, it's, it's an opportunity we can just easily miss on the diversity and inclusion side. Um, but if we can connect with global markets, there's an opportunity there. Yeah. I, I love how, I, I love the big picture that you have as well. And that it, a lot of it is about um, elevating and uplifting people along with you. And it's not just about like, I got to go ahead. It's like, no, we succeed when we, when we all succeed. Further together kind of thing. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, what, what qualities do you think we need to see in our allies? Mm. You know, like I, like what, what, what is a good ally, a good oh. white, you know, cishet film industry uh, ally, you know, who, who has good intentions and mm-hmm. wants to, and wants to be part of change. Yeah. Cause there are good, good ways to do this oh. and also some not good ways. <laughs> Tons of great people. So the, the lens I tend to take on this is I go, okay, everybody has some form of privilege. So what are mine and how do I think about this? So, uh, I'm a, a, a straight male, um, born and raised in Canada, full citizenship. I have this accent, which is not uh, detectably foreign, um, uh, reasonably healthy. Uh, so all those kinds of things, right? So when I think about um, groups with uh, more barriers, let's say, so we have a film right now that is, um, uh, we have a film with a first time writer um, that's a Somalian Canadian film that's, that's really exciting. Um, yeah, first time writer, uh, really great uh, female uh, film, filmmaker. I'll call her that now, even though she's not gonna be directing this one. Um, and again, when I think about different groups who have maybe less privileges, it's just going, what access do I have to things and how do I give people similar access? Because a lot of times you think like, oh, how do I, how do I help? And it, a focus on I is a lot of times, it still puts yourself at the center. Yeah. It's like, how do you, how, how do, you do the really tough thing of not being the protagonist all the time, right? It, it, it's because for a lot, if you're more of a Bible person, you're used to never being the protagonist, right? But for a lot of people, it's not something, if you're trying to be a good ally, you're not even conscious that you're centering yourself. Our organization's doing a panel. It's still a lot on like, see, we did this event, checked the box. It's, it's not a bad intention. It's just genuinely thinking that that would help because you're seeing it from your perspective. So really doing the effort to walk, walking through uh, what we would call an event planning, like footstepping it. What is this other person's actual experience? And not like, well, they should just look at this. They should, they don't know the same things you do. This person doesn't have the same access to things that you do. Um, when working through this script for this uh, Somalian Canadian writer, we can't just give a note and then ex- all the time and expect that she's going to interpret the note exactly as we would, because I've been watching, I've been like working on film stuff for like a decade. This is someone who it's their first time writing a script. They're not going to they're not, they're not taking notes in the exact same way. So it's, it's going from that. So it's, it's a combination of empathy and yeah, the really tough thing of, of decentering yourself, I would say, uh, and look to examples of it working. So there's a couple ways to do that. One is literally take the, take the, um, the ethnicity, sexuality, whatever thing out of it and look at like, how do you support other people, um, who don't have those barriers. And a lot of times it's just, you treat them like a regular person. And sometimes it's just about giving the, the res- enough respect to be um, real with people. Um, because a lot of times programs for like BIPOC filmmakers, it's a little too like bubble wrapped or a little bit too. And it's like, no, no, I don't want kid gloves, but I, I do want empathy. You know, it's, it's mm-hmm. a weird mix. And then other ways of looking at how it works is what other diversity programs are working. So how are larger American studios managing to pull certain things off? But locally, I would straight up just look at StoryHive. Just copy StoryHive do what they do. Um, really think about the individuals who work there because I think they do a very good job of it. I love, we love Story Hive here on the Web Your Screen Scene And I understand how biased I sound because I've been supported by Story Hive. <laughs> but, but I mean, it's not automatic. And, 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 and honestly, 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 like look at people who are doing it well. What is Prem Gill doing at Creative VC? What is, um, what is, uh, what are, you know, everybody doing it, Story Hive, but I'm trying to think specific names. I guess Liz would be the first one to come to mind, but everybody there is doing good work. And a lot of times it's just about giving people money and putting expe- actual expectations on it and holding them accountable to that money, um, which StoryHive does do. They expect no less than, than what they've um, asked for from you. Um, but it puts you up to that challenge. Um, and so, yeah. 
but but again, like Story Have does a pretty good job of like letting you do your thing. They have standards, but they're absolutely all about making the people they fund the hero of the work. Mm. Um, and that takes some level of humility. So I would say in your own practice, on mindfulness, get the Headspace app, work on humility, find your validity somewhere, and then really think about how you can uh, empower others. Um, and, um, and that will, will come back to you in, in, in all sorts of ways. Um, cause like, I mean, even this past year, I think even on the communications and consulting side in the past eight months, like I've exclusively had clients that are black run organizations or companies. It, it, I haven't been banned from talking about it, but it hasn't occurred to me to like make a whole bunch of social media noise about it. But it's just like, because that's not why we were doing it. It's like, yeah. this is a really cool thing. Let's do that thing. So I'm not even using that as an example to say like, see, I'm good and other people need to be as good. It's just going that thing of like, no, I wasn't doing that because they needed me. It's, it's finding where are those gaps in that, in that organization? What are the actual gaps and, and where do they need support um, to then go be who they are? I don't know. It's kind of a rambly response, but no, no, the whole, the whole gist of it was just be like me. I'm awesome. Look at me. I'm the selling. Yeah, that's it. No. What? That wasn't what you were saying? I mean, <laughs> all I'm saying is if you're a filmmaker, just like get in touch and like, don't worry about anybody else. You we're the producers you can go to and we'll take you through. Um, I believe that. I, I believe that. Um, I want to, I want to end with some advice for, <laughs> Because I've been thinking so much about my husband when he graduated from film school, mm -hmm. you know, like almost 20 years ago now. Like there are people who are in film school right now who are going to graduate and be entering the industry during a pandemic. Like I, I can imagine that that would be challenging. Yeah. You know, so what kind of words of, of wisdom would you have for, for, you know, people who are entering the industry right now? Yeah. I didn't realize I had such consistent themes, but every answer, a question you've asked me, I'm like, the answer is empathy and consistent, but it really is that. And I would say this for film school grads too, because I, I didn't go to film school. So there's, there's hope yet. Um, but I would say that the number one, one of the top things I would say I, I, I've seen comes out of film school is the relationships you make. Um, and so again, deepen those relationships, definitely yeah. stay strong with those people. Even after you graduate, Create whatever you need, whether it's a Discord, a WhatsApp chat, or whatever works for you. Um, stay up to date with people. Always get in touch with them, check up on them. And then the biggest thing I would say, like, it, and, and, and again, this comes from the empathy thing of like, look at how you can help others. And I mean that in a real way. Not that you have so much bandwidth to help others. And, you know, I know there's like student debt and everything. What I mean by that is like, a lot of times you're going through, especially earlier in your career, you're like, I want to be a director, writer, producer, whatever. And that's great. And definitely work on that. But then the paying your dues section is really look at what do I want from the world and how can I put that into the world for the next like five years? Mm -hmm. And I never felt older than when I was 23, right? So like I understand that at that age, at like 21, 22, 23, like you actually do feel very old. Like it doesn't feel like you have five years to do things. And you'll hear this from a lot of people. Like I promise you by the time you get to 30, you'll be like 21, 22. I had so much time. There was so much ahead of me, right? So like just accept that, <laughs> right? Because it's really hard to not compare yourself to like, the gene the geniuses every time or like people who it just like worked out for yeah it's really hard to not find those one or two examples of like that person was like 25 and the thing is first of all no one's a genius honestly like everybody is just like trying and sometimes yeah. it works out and sometimes it doesn't the other thing is a lot of the people who are hitting it out of the park at 23 are going to have a really hard 27 28 then they head out of the park when they're 29 then 35 they'll be questioning everything so it's like there's waves to this so just yes, kind of like take one step at a time. And in that, what, what I was saying about paying your dues of that, like what you want out of the world, put that out there. It's the thing of like, I really imagine a world where everybody's helping me make my projects. It's like, great. Okay. So for now, help other people make their projects because that's how you're going to meet the people that help you in the Vancouver context. Cause I'm assuming most of the listeners are in Vancouver, although I'm sure there's equivalents in every city. Um, there is a thankfully really healthy indie scene. Honestly, 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 from what I've seen healthier than LA um, healthier than a lot of other places. Even now? Even now, I would say, because the thing, and there's a positive and negative one is because like LA, there's like theoretically like more jobs for people to go into, but also not a lot shoots there, right? So what I was saying where like, we have like so many productions here that train people up really well. They don't have as much of that there actually. So in Vancouver, people, crews, especially indie crews, know so many different, have so many different skills and can offer those up. And so like, I'm producing this crazy AIDS film. 
the director on that was my cinematographer on a corporate video I did. My co-producer at Dunya that we hired this year, I met her because I was editing a Crazy Eights film that she production designed, but we're both directors and we produce together, right? Mm-hmm. So, and this is a thing I've noticed particularly in Vancouver film, I put it out on Twitter the other day, and there were some cities that had a similar kind of vibe, New York a little bit, but really not a lot, it's very unique. Toronto does a bit as well. And so I would say a couple of things. One, look at who you can help. So I honestly, I'm not, I'm not biased. Uh, I mean, I am a little bit biased, but not really. Like Crazy Eights is a really good thing to volunteer for. Yeah. Um, I, not having gone to film school at all, that's how I met everybody I know in film. I helped Lawrence a little bit on Cypher. Then I took, then we had our Welcome to Surrey, our, our, um, our, our uh, Story Hive series. I had been on one set in my life, which was Joel McCarthy's Inconceivable, because I was acting in it for a day. So I was like acting and very much paying attention to like, what kind of jobs do people have? <laughs> like, what, what's a set? Sham, my producer, who was running the set, his first day on a set period was the first day of Welcome to Surrey with 30 crew. Right. What? But us knowing that we didn't have a network <laughs> yet. Wow. Knowing that we didn't have a network, we're like, well, the cipher crew knows each other, so our crew was just the cipher crew. All the heads of department, Leo, Freddie, everybody, we're like, they know each other. They'll feel like it's a familiar set, and that'll give us the the air cover to like <laughs> to actually understand how it all works. Um, and then since then, like, I edited on Gemini. I met everybody else I know on film through that. I met Mayumi through Inconceivable. Like everybody I know, I know through Story Hive and Crazy Eights. So helping out on projects is a big thing. And then I know a little bit less about this part of the world, but I would say for film school students, the strong thing is like looking at the, the, the industry itself is fairly busy. So looking at jobs that even if you want to be like a director, cinematographer, whatever, there's so many other jobs that can be your day job. Mm. Um, Cause a lot of times you want to be like a director. So you go work retail so you can like focus on the creative and that that's cool. But getting those technical skills is really what gives you the power to be able to help people in their projects. If you understood how to do onset sound, and you got the equipment to do onset sound, you will never go hungry in your life, mm. right? Like onset sound, generator operators, like these people never work for free, free, right? And, and it seems like, but I wanna be Taika Waititi, I don't wanna do sound, it's like, you'll get there, like this is a really cool way to meet everybody. Nobody is more respected in the city than Alex Shamku, the sound recordist, right? Uh, he is the he is absolutely the most respected person on set. And if he wanted to direct something, a thousand people would volunteer. Um, and so I would say that's the amazing thing about Vancouver. There's lots of paid opportunities. I know less about that. Talk to your professors, I guess. I know IATSE and them really want to diversify. They really are always wanting to get more members in there. So there's lots of cool stuff filming. Um, and yeah, that's how you'll build that network. You're a delight. Thank you so much for being here today. Kashif Pasta, where can our fans find you, follow you, celebrate you? Celebrate you. Celebrate me in your own mindfulness practice every morning. I would recommend adding that kind of to your (laughs) mantra. Um, No, but uh, realistically, so I'm Kashif Pasta. If you you have this episode on on your device right now, you can see how it's spelled. So I'm at that on all social media. Twitter's kind of the one that I'm most active on. Um, and you'll find my email address there as well if you really want to get into things. Um, so yeah, I'd say Twitter, but really anywhere. If you want to see my Instagram posts up to July 2020, which is when I feel like I stopped posting, <laughs> feel free, but it's not going to be as fun. Yeah. Well, I hope that you'll be taking photos and posting those uh, from your Crazy Eights set. And I'm totally, when we're done recording, I'm going to ask you if the actress is who I think it is. Okay. Or who okay. I hope it is. Um, okay. So thank you very much, Pasha. Um, thank you to our listeners. Y'all are amazing. Please like, subscribe, and leave us a review if you are so inclined. It helps us find even more listeners and also five stars, no less. You can find us at www.yvrscreenscene.com. You can follow us on Twitter and Facebook and Instagram at YVR Screen Scene. The YVR Screen Scene podcast is hosted and executive produced by me, Sabrina Ronnie Mara Firminger, and it is edited by Simon Firminger. Special thanks to Mariana Firminger for recording our Patreon ad, to Paul Firminger for technical support, and to Dane, not Firminger, Devolay for the original music. Why we are screen scene is a division of Fifth Flight Entertainment. Join us next time for another deep dive into Vancouver's dynamic, dynamic film and television scene. And cut! This ad begins with a story about an important but largely forgotten piece of Hollywood North history, the fish flight. In the 1980s, the fish flight was an early morning flight from Vancouver that delivered fresh fish to Los Angeles before the start of the business day. 
These were the early days of Hollywood North, before digital deliveries and fast transfer speeds, and the pioneers of the Vancouver film industry began loading up the fish flight with film reels so Hollywood execs could review the footage shot on the previous day. The fish flight was also one of the building blocks of the visual effects and animation mecca that is present-day Vancouver. And Fish Flight Entertainment builds on this legacy. Fish Flight Entertainment serves the games, film, and television industries. We remember the days of the fish flight and attack our projects with the same passion as those pioneering days of yore. We believe in jumping off the cliff and building our wings on the way down. And who knows? That old fish with improvised wings may even fly. Learn more about Fish Flight Entertainment at fishflightentertainment.com. That's fishflightentertainment.com.